Hey, my name is Michael Kohler. Uh, I've been at Greystone now for approximately, wow, I guess it's been uh, 11 years. Uh, started in the warehouse before we came to the new campus here on Ozora. I'm the co-founder of Special Needs and Treats uh, Bakery along with my wife. Well, throughout this Experiencing God journey, I um, spent a lot of time in prayer. Uh, back when I first did this uh, about seven years ago, I was in the middle of a uh, process where I was offered a new position with my work that was going to take me away from home a lot. I was going to uh, travel around the country, travel overseas, and my wife and I were trying to start something for our son who has fragile X syndrome that uh, to help special needs adults with, with work experiences after they turn 22 and age out of county programs and, and also to how we could get back in the community. So I, I prayed a lot. Uh, trying to see where God was at work, what he was showing us. And in my office one day, I got down on my knees and I said, God, if this is truly where you want us to go, show me a sign. Uh, didn't necessarily throw down a fleece, but just show me a sign. And my wife called and about 20 minutes later and she said, uh, guess what came in the mail? And I was thinking it was a bill or something I forgot to do right and what have you. And she said it was our 501c3 determination letter. And I said, okay, Lord, um, I hear you, and I told you, uh, anything, any place, anywhere. So I went into the uh, office of our president and uh, told him that I could not accept the job, that uh, we were planning on starting this nonprofit bakery to, to help kids in our community and help special needs adults. And to my surprise, where I thought he was going to tell me to get my box and get out, he said, uh, let me pray for you. And through that experience, um, our life adjusted from, I worked in the corporate world, I was making right at six figures, uh, 401k, company expenses, uh, vacations, all that, all that stuff, to uh, jumping off the cliff without a parachute into the nonprofit world with uh, no guarantee of, of where things would head. And um, through all the things, just like tithing, you know, we started being regular tithers, real tithers. I, where I used to hear the stories and think people were crazy that they said, you know, once they started tithing that they'd have no money and have a bill due and all of a sudden a check came in the middle. I never used to believe that. But once I started following God, His will in my life, uh, tithing and, and, and trusting in the Lord, I actually got to be part of those stories. Uh, I got so many to share. God has shown us just over this past five years, but also through the journey getting closer to Him, that no matter what it is, He's in control as long as you give him the glory, as long as you follow what you feel is his will in your life. And uh, it's just been amazing that he would use someone like myself to be part of that story. One of the big things that uh, we encountered with God was uh, we had a lease on a small facility for about three years. And as that mark approached, the facility was being sold. Our rent was going to go up probably three times, if not two times, uh, so we started praying to God, you know, God, this place is bigger than what we need. Uh, our wheelchair and walker folks couldn't fit in to the kitchen like they should. We had 120 plus on a waiting list at that time. So we kind of said, God, where are you leading us? And uh, one day, um, as we were out looking around, we found a facility that had been vacant for over 15 years, uh, right around the corner from where we were first at, closer to home, kept us in the community, uh, right in, in Lawrenceville, almost downtown. And... Uh, we said, God, if, if this is what you want, we know you'll make it happen. What do you need us to do? And we shared. We asked people to pray. Lo and behold, uh, 
year and a half later, we're now in a 12,000 square foot facility. Uh, our waiting list has grown a bit more. We're over 185 on a waiting list, but we've impacted so many different lives. Whether it's the foster kid who's never had a birthday cake or the 14-year-old boy who was homeless and picked his first birthday cake up from us or the 52-year-old man that we gave him his very first paycheck. All these things along the way are just so impactful to see God working and using us to, to work in His story and His plan. Um, that's what keeps us going every day. You know, when you trade a Harley for a minivan, you sell a truck, you, go, you no longer have your 401ks, you don't have uh, all these big company benefits and all the toys, so to speak. But now you see your heart impacted. You know, we can see lives change. Uh, it's been pretty amazing. A daily scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Every day I try and lean into that and just roll with it because God will make your path straight. As long as you listen to Him, you go where God's leading, uh, you can't go wrong. Awesome. Incredible. Well, thanks for being here today. Good morning. Welcome to Greystone. Glad you are here. I want to welcome all of you who are watching at our Walden campus, at our Oconee campus, everybody who's watching online. Now, I know you Azora folks here, you hear Jonathan every Sunday, you welcome our Walden campus and our Oconee campus, and you may want, like, are, are there really other campuses out there besides this one? And there are. They're real campuses with real people, and I'm one of them. But hey, I know you're probably asking, who is this cat up here? Who, who is this guy uh, speaking to us today? And so my name is Heath, and I'm the campus pastor at our Walton campus. I've actually been a part of this church for like 15 years. Uh, it was actually before even our grand open I started coming. So I've seen it. I love this church. I love the people in it. And it's just a pleasure to be with you today. So I want to introduce my family, my crew. This is a picture of them right there. That's me and my wife, Ashley, and our two daughters, Lucy, who is three, and Willa, who is about two and a half months old. But in an effort to be open and honest with you guys, this is not normal for us, okay? That's normal for us right there. Can anybody relate with that? Yeah, amen. Life is crazy. But hey, glad you're here. Today we are continuing in our series called Experiencing, Experiencing God. We've been talking about that there's a God who knows us and loves us, and he created us to know him and love him so that we can join him in his work. And we've been looking at the seven different realities of experiencing God. We've actually got a, an image up here that goes through that, uh, that God's at work around us, that he pursues us with a love relationship, that he invites us into his work, and he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through circumstances, right, through the Bible, through people. And then, which leads us to a crisis of belief where we're going, God, is this, is this truly what you want? And we see that play out in Michael's story on the video, right? That God was clearly inviting them into something. He was speaking uh, to him through prayer. He got down on his knees and asked God for a sign through circumstances that a job was going to take him away from home for a while, through people that his boss, right, did the opposite of what he thought. He prayed for him. And I can only imagine the crisis of belief that they had between um, Michael and Tempa and God. The conversation, I, I would love to be in that room where they're going, God, is this, like, is this truly what you want from us? 
Like, do you really want us to quit our jobs and, and start a nonprofit? Like, really? They were at a crossroads, right? They were at their crisis of belief. They were, uh, they had, this was their experience in God moment. And this is not something that's just exclusive to the Kohlers. This is something that we all can relate with, right? At some point or another, we're going to be faced with a situation in our life where God is inviting us into something, that he's speaking to us. And we have a crisis of belief where we're going, God, is this, is this truly what you want? And God says, yes, this is what I want you to do. And so today we're going to be talking about the part that comes after that, right? The part that comes after, God, is this truly what you want? Yes, that's what I want you to do. Then what does that look like going forward? Like, what, what does that look like for me? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn in there to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be hanging out there today. And uh, hopefully we're going, to, we're going to be looking at a story of some guys who faced a similar predicament. They were in a similar, similar predicament. And, and my prayer is that their actions would become our actions, right? That what they did would be what we do. So, um, man, they're, they're, we know a lot of things about the Scripture, right? And we know that the ultimate, I want to put in context of kind of where we're at. So God creates the world. God creates man. Man messes everything up. Man messes everything up all the time. Right? But God, in his love, wanted us to come back to him. So the way he did this was through a Messiah, through a Savior, right? through his son. We know him as Jesus. And the Old Testament is just one big story that points to the coming of Jesus, that points to the coming of the Messiah. And God would send different people to prepare his people for the coming of Jesus. And one of those guys' name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's sole role was to announce the coming of Jesus. And so then we got the New Testament, and the Messiah is here, right? Jesus is born. Jesus is born. So where we pick it up in Matthew chapter 4 is that John the Baptist has just baptized Jesus, and Jesus is about to start his public ministry. So let's see what we do. Let's see what it says from there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 said, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. So John the Baptist has just been put in prison. And we learn more about that in chapter 14. So it says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So we see here that Matthew is quoting the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. So it mentions the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is one huge lake. Like think Lake Lanier like times like three. It had like 30 different towns that surrounded it. Now what do you think these towns had in common? They're fishing towns, right? Business was fishing. So we meet Peter and Andrew. It says they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. So we find out that Peter and Andrew were fishermen. And it was more than just a hobby for them. Like, this is how they made money. This was their job, right? This was how they made a living. This was their livelihood. And have you ever met somebody who fished? Like, 
Fishermen don't just like fishing. Fishermen love to fish. Like a lot of times, it just consumes them, right? So Peter and Andrew are at work. They're doing their thing. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus speaks to them. And this is what he says. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. You talk about a crisis of belief. This was it for Peter and Andrew. This was it. This was their experience of God moment. They were at a crossroads, right? And if you look in that, the, the seven realities of experiencing God, God was inviting them into something. God was speaking to them through Jesus, right? He said, hey, come, follow me. And I can only imagine they had some sort of crisis of belief where they're going, God, is this really what you want us to do? Do you really want us to follow this guy? Let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. It says, for a few months, they asked many questions and prayed about it. Wait, wait a minute. That's, that's not in your translation? I'm just kidding, right? I'm just kidding. It says, at once, they left their nets and followed him. Let me read that again. At once, they left their nets and followed him. He didn't say, follow me in two weeks. He didn't say, follow me over there. He didn't say, follow me when you're ready. He, didn't, he, didn't, he just said, follow me. Follow me. And this leads us to our sixth reality, which is you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he's doing. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. Peter and Andrew lived out this truth right? It says that once they left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. They stopped what they were doing. They quit their jobs. They made major adjustments in their life to join God in what he was doing. They knew that true faith requires action, and part of that action is making an adjustment. But we see this not only in the story of Peter and Andrew. We see this play out in other scripture stories as well, right? The other biblical fictor. Uh, figures. Noah couldn't continue life as usual and also build an ark. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and also stand before Pharaoh. David had to leave his sheep to become king. Paul had to completely change, change directions in his life in order to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Each of these men had to make adjustments, and each of these adjustments is unique. I mean, there are different types of adjustments, different types of adjustments that we learn about in Scripture, but also how they play out in our lives today. And I wanted to go over a few of those, a few of those with you right now. It could be an adjustment in your circumstances, an adjustment in your circumstances, something with your job, something, with it, something at home, something with your family. For Peter and Andrew, they had to quit their jobs, Right? Which I can only figure out that that means probably a, a cut in their monthly budget as well, right? God may be calling you to do the same. It could be an adjustment in your relationships with your family, with a certain friend, with a coworker. If we keep reading the narrative in Matthew chapter 4, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. James and John made an adjustment in their life. They made a commitment to follow Jesus. And what did that commitment cost them? What does it say? It says, immediately they left the boat 
and their father. What did it cost them? Time spent with their father. What did it cost the father? Time spent with his sons. But they knew that the benefits outweighed the cost. And as hard as it is for us to hear, they understood that time spent with Jesus is more important than time spent with family. They understood that. Now, if you want to read more about what Jesus says about the cost of being a disciple and what it means for your family and your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, you can read in Luke chapter 14. It could be an adjustment in your thinking, right? It could be an adjustment in your thinking, some sort of prejudice you have, methods, your potential, something about your past you're adjusting. It could be an adjustment in your commitments, an adjustment in your commitments to your family, to your church, to your job, to your plans, to the way you've always done things. I know many guys who wouldn't interrupt a hunting trip or a football game for anything in the world. They want to serve God, but they keep eliminating anything that comes in their way of their plans. It could be an adjustment in your actions, an adjustment in your actions, how you pray, how you give, how you serve. It could be an adjustment in your beliefs, what you believe about God, his purposes, his ways, your relationship with him. But see, the disciples understood that in order to live the life that God wanted them to live in the future, they had to make certain adjustments in the present. You want to know why I think that? They, it's because they understood that you can't go with God and stay where you're at. You can't go with God, but also stay where you're at. It's not possible. It's not possible. But see, here's the thing. If, if I were to ask you, who wants to go with God? Most every hand in this place would, would go up. We all want to go with God, you know, especially here in the Bible Belt. You want to go with, yes, absolutely. You want to be his disciple? Yes, let's go. Let's go in the kingdom of God. I, I want to be there. But the, the truth of the matter is, there's some of us who aren't willing to make the proper adjustments it takes to go with God. There are some of us who aren't willing to make the necessary adjustments to be a true follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. And we read about a story in Mark chapter 10. It's the story of the rich young ruler. It's a great story of what happens when somebody doesn't make the necessary adjustments it takes to be a true follower of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy, you know this. This is great. Jesus looked to him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he knew he had great wealth. You see, the rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he didn't want to make the necessary adjustments it took to get there. He considered his love of money to be more important. Jesus asked him to put away what what had become his God, which was wealth. And this story is not just an ancient story. This story plays out for us today, right? We let other things control us. We let other things become our God. For the young ruler, it was wealth. For others of us, it's success or it's power or it's fame or it's sports or it's our kids. And here's the deal. These things in and of themselves aren't bad things. The problem is, number one, they make terrible gods. These things make horrific gods. And number two, when we refuse to set aside these things, we miss out on experiencing God. We miss out on fully experiencing God. Now, I want to acknowledge that none of this is easy. Making adjustments is difficult. It's extremely difficult. But if we're to be open and honest, and if we were to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of Peter and Andrew... And James and John, our responses today would probably look a little different. If Jesus showed up today and said, hey, come follow me. We may say, "Uh, well, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of something here. Like I'm working. Could you come back at a later time? Could you come back at a time that's a little more convenient for me? Or our response to Jesus coming and saying, hey, come follow me, may look like, could you give me some more details? Like, where are we going? What are we going to do? We're planners. Listen, this is me. This is me. I'm a planner. I want to know what we're doing, right? The staff took a, a DNA profile test a few weeks ago, and you know what I am? I'm a reflective thinker. I like to know what's going on before I make a decision. I think about thinking about making a decision. That's me, right? That is me. And actually, there's a story of when I was in college, a senior year of college. I got to decide what I want to do. I can't play video games for the rest of my life. Come to find out you can play video games and also earn a living. That's a different sermon for another day, right? So I had friends that were going medical school. Some were going to Atlanta for a job. Some were going to be a coach. Somebody's doing an internship here, and there's he. Don't know what he's going to do, and I'm I'm wigging out, right? I don't know what I don't know what to do. So I go on a couple interviews with a bank, and they ended up telling me, you know, you're not exactly what we're looking for. And I tried to get a job with a mortgage company, and they said, you're not exactly what we're looking for. So about a week later, I was playing golf with our lead pastor, Jonathan. And he asked me, he said, hey, have you ever thought about going to the ministry? At that time, I was serving every Sunday. I was volunteering, I was serving every Sunday. He said, hey, have you you ever thought about going to the ministry? And I said, absolutely not. No way. And he said, well, if you ever did, we would love to have you at Greystone. And about a week after that, he offered me an internship. 
God was clearly speaking to me. God was clearly speaking to me. And you know what I wanted to know? You know what my response was? Like, give me some more details. How much money am I going to earn? Where am I going to live? I got to live at home with my parents? Am I going to have a full-time job after that? Don't make me get up in front of everybody and speak. I ain't doing it. Like, I'm not going to do it. And you know what God was saying? Stop. Stop. Follow me. Just follow me. That's what he wanted me to do. Now, another response to Jesus coming and saying, hey, come follow me today. It may be, we may ask the question, well, what exactly is it going to cost me? We're going to have to give up. And Jesus actually answers this in scripture. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, it says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that if there's something that you won't give up in order to follow me, if there's something higher on the priority list than me, you can't be my disciple. You can't do it. We must be willing to abandon everything to be a true follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. Now, another response we may have is, God, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't know what the future is going to hold if I make this adjustment. I have a fear of the unknown. And I mentioned my daughter, Lucy, who's three. Last summer, she was learning how to swim. So we were at a pool, and I was in the water, and she was on the ledge, and I was trying to get her to jump down to me, right? So she got up to the ledge. And I was there in the water, so she stood at the ledge, and then she, her head went up like this. I, I saw it in her eyes. She was terrified. And she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, I'm, I'm scared. And I walked closer to her. I said, Sweetie, I know you're afraid, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right here. And there's many of us here today. We don't want to make an adjustment because we're afraid of what the future may hold. And what God's saying is, I know you're afraid. I know, sis. I know, brother. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right here with you. And then lastly, a response that we may have, Jesus coming and saying, hey, come follow me, Maybe, you know what, I'm not so sure you have the best in mind for me. I'm not so sure that you have the best plans for me. Like, I know my plans. I don't think that you've got the best in mind for me. And we probably wouldn't say this directly to Jesus' face, but our actions and our heart and our lives reflect that in a way. And you see, the disciples, they had a net. Now, it's probably wasn't exactly the net they used, right? I imagine their net being humongous, but they may have used this, who knows? They each had a net, but it was more than a net for them. 
It was their job. It was their career. It was their schedule. It was their provision. It was their family. It was their comfort. It's the same for us. We all have our nets. It may be our job. It may be our career. It may be comfort. It may be our family. It may be control. It may be our schedules. And what God is saying is leave your nets and follow me. Like, put it down. The reality is, some of us are still hanging on to our nets. Some of us are got a death grip on it. And some of us are, are barely hanging on. But to be hanging on is to be hanging on. You're still hanging on to it. And what we're saying is, God, we don't tr- fully trust you. We don't fully believe that you have the best plan for us. What God is saying is, I sent my son to die for you. Of course I've got the best plan for you. His blood was shed for you. I've got the best plan for you. Now Peter and Andrew and James and John, their responses will probably look a lot different than ours, right? It says at once they left their nets and followed it. They didn't have any questions. They didn't have any excuses. And you, you want to know why? This is why I think is the case. And I neglected to mention this earlier. But their interaction with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee was not their first meeting with him. They already met Jesus before. If you look at John chapter 14, they met him already. They knew him. They believed in him. They knew what kind of man he was. He was a leader worth following. They had seen some of the things he had done. And he was a leader worth following. And I can only imagine the conversation between Peter and Andrew after they first met Jesus and was like, listen, if we ever get the chance to follow this guy, we're going to do it. Are you in? Yeah. Fast forward. Jesus shows up and says, hey, follow me. You know what they did? They followed him. They didn't raise any questions or have excuses. They seized the opportunity. Their attitude was, God's inviting us to this? Can you believe it? Let's go. And that should be our same attitude. The same God that called Peter and Andrew and James and John is calling us. The same God. And our attitude should be, God's inviting us to this. Can you believe it? Let's go. Let's go. Oh, I may have to change jobs. That's all right. Let's go. Oh, that may be, I'm afraid and I don't know what's in front of me. That's all right. Let's go. Oh, it's going to cost me something. That's all right. Let's go. When we make the necessary adjustments in our life, we get to experience God in an unreal way. Now, we heard the story from earlier about the rich young ruler. What happens when we don't make the proper adjustments? So the question is, what happens when we do make the proper adjustments? What happens then? And we're going to finish out on the story that we started with, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus had just called Peter and Andrew and James and John. said, come follow me. What did they do? They left their nets and followed him. 
Pick it up in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Where were the disciples? With him. What were they experiencing? The incredible power of God radically transforming the people. They were experiencing things they never thought they would experience. They were seeing things they never thought they'd see. They were experiencing what it was like for God to be present in the lives of people and to be setting them free. The blind, the lame, the sick, all were healed. All of them. So the question I have for us today is, what adjustments are we willing to take? What adjustments do you need to make in your life in order to be obedient to God? The disciples made an adjustment, and you saw what they got to experience. It's the same God, guys. The same God. So the band is going to come out in just a moment. They're going to play a song. And I want us to reflect on that question. What adjustments do you need to make in your life? I want the Holy Spirit to do His work. And I don't know what that is for you. I have no idea. But I bet you do. When I ask that question, what adjustments do you need to make? There may be something that pops in your mind. And I think as a church... As individuals, we are one decision away from God opening up the floodgates. We're one adjustment away. What's that adjustment for you? It may be switching jobs. It may be moving. It may be staying exactly where you're at and going into your, and diving deep into your community. It may be quitting your job to be a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. It may be going to full-time missions. It may be going into the ministry. It may be getting baptized. It may be joining a small group. It may be serving somewhere. I don't know what it is for you. For some of us, it's a tweak in our priorities. It's a tweak in our commitment. It's a tweak in our thinking. And I think for others of us, we realize today that we've never fully surrendered to Jesus. We say we are a Christian, but our hearts and our actions and our lives, we don't, don't reflect that. We're still holding on to our nets. Jesus is saying, leave your nets, follow me. And I want to give you the opportunity to submit to the Lordship of Jesus once and for all today. No matter what adjustment we make, it requires complete and total surrender. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? It's going to cost you everything. The bad news is, it's going to cost us something. The good news is, 
It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. What you gain will outweigh what you lose every single time. I'm praying for you today. I'm pulling for you today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for inviting us into your work. Thank you for creating us. And Lord, I pray as we decipher through your invitation and your speaking to us, and through that crisis of belief where we go, God, is this really what you want us to do? That you'd give us boldness, you'd give us courage. We can't do it on our own. We don't want to do it on our own. We'll mess it up every time. Go in front of us, Lord. And I pray for those of us today who've never fully surrendered everything to Jesus, that we would do that. We not, there's nothing to be afraid about. There's nothing to be concerned about. You're there with us every single step of the way. And I pray you'd come into our hearts. You'd invade our hearts. You'd make them new. You'd forgive us of all of our wrongdoings. That you would create new life in your son Jesus. Help us, Lord. We need it desperately. I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as individuals. That we would do something bold for you. Help us realize that making adjustments is absolutely worth it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.